0: What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today's episode is with Rich Kleinman. Rich is an entrepreneur and investor. He has worked with NBA superstar Kevin Durant for nearly a decade, handling his foundation and Nike business, building media properties like The Boardroom, and managing a $200 million venture portfolio that includes early investments in companies like Postmates, Coinbase, and more. In this conversation, we discuss how Rich went from music manager to business partners with KD why leaving Oklahoma City for Golden State accelerated their business, what the future of athlete-centered enterprises looks like, and much more. I really enjoyed this conversation with Rich, and I hope that you do too. But before we get into it, let's quickly run through today's sponsors. This episode is sponsored by my friends at 8sleep. Good sleep is the ultimate game changer, and the 8sleep pod is the ultimate sleep machine. AidSleep sleep has dramatically improved my daily performance. For me, I was never able to get a good sleep because I was always too hot. But now, I'm falling asleep in record time, faster than I have before. The pod is the only sleep technology that can maintain the optimal sleeping temperature for what your body needs. It's not just me who sleeps on the 8sleep, though. The product is so good that it's garnered the attention of CEOs, Olympians, UFC champions, and even the Mercedes F1 racing team. Even better, 8sleep recently launched the next generation of the pod. The new pod 3 enables more accurate sleep and health tracking with double the amount of sensors, delivering you the best sleep experience on earth. The pod isn't magic, but it definitely feels like it. So go to 8sleep.com slash joe to start sleeping cool and save $150 on the pod. 8sleep currently ships within the US, Canada, the UK, and select countries in the EU. Next up is MoonPay, the leader in Web3 infrastructure. Trusted by major crypto brands and millions of people worldwide, MoonPay is a portal to Web3, a place where you can transact with peers globally and own your digital identity. As blockchain technology continues to integrate with sports all over the world, teams and leagues are looking for simple solutions to unlock their digital markets, that's where MoonPay can help. Whether you are a front office staff, a business executive, or a marketer, and you're looking to mint collectibles on the blockchain to create an NFT marketplace for your brand, MoonPay's technology can bring your digital strategies to life. So if you want to learn more, go to moonpay.com slash joe. That's moonpay.com slash joe. Joe Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of Joe Pompliano and his guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion by Joe or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, let's get into this episode. All right, Rich, let's do this. Let's start with your background. Most people know who you are now as running the boardroom, 35 Ventures, business manager, So forth with Kevin. How did this all start? How do you get to this position? I feel like I hear people all the time they're like, want to be in this position, but this wasn't always this way. How did this happen?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it was like a collection of experiences. You know, I grew up in New York City. I was obsessed with hip hop and obsessed with basketball as a kid and I wanted to play basketball professionally. I mean everyone does that loves the sport, but I knew at a pretty young age, you know, sophomore, junior in high school, it was pretty clear I wasn't gonna play professional basketball, but At no point did I think of doing anything else. For me, it was like, all right, well, how do I stay around this? How do I stay around this energy and this culture? And randomly ended up in the music business. You know, I had no intention of being in the music business. But I think at that time, with hip hop exploding in New York and me being in New York and being such a fan, I was cool with it. I figured that that would take me ultimately back into the sports world. And I was right. So, you know, it was a lot of experiences in music as a manager as a music supervisor. I went to work for Jay-Z for a while. Um, But when I ultimately went into the sports world, what was amazing for me timing-wise was the sports world in a lot of ways was starting to model a lot of what had happened in hip-hop in terms of this creator economy and having like talent at the center and then a major enterprise built around it. So when I met Kevin, you know, he had those aspirations. So for me, it was like, okay, here I am now managing one of the greatest players in the world He wants to build a business. I have all these experiences and all these contacts from the last 15, 20 years of being in this space, and now we're going to do something that's ours, and you know that I couldn't have even dreamt up, and the fact that it was him, and I think all partnerships, when you look back on it, it's obvious. It's like, of course, our two personalities mesh in the form of being able to build a business together, but you don't know that when you first sign someone, and at first I was just honored to be working with him. I still am, but... To be able to get the freedom that he's given me to build something that embodies both of us that you know—that we can call ours has just been like a dream come true. And to be able to encompass all of these music and sports experiences throughout my life into what we're building now has really been amazing have the ambitions changed over
0: time? Like, did you know right when you guys started that it was gonna be beyond just managing, right? Like, I think some people think of managing an athlete as some kind of smaller task and things like that, but you've taken a completely different approach where you're truly an entrepreneur and a business partner with him. You're investing, you're building companies, you're doing all these things. Was that always the ambition or has that changed over
1: time? No, I'm all ambition. I don't think I could be satisfied if I had any level of success. And I'm proud of that. I'm happy with that. So, you know, I knew that, managing somebody was gonna give you the opportunity to do more. I knew that management didn't look like it had looked when I was growing up and what I thought. And there was examples of it, especially in music. So it was always something that I wanted to do. You know, it's funny, I started a company in 1999 with two friends of mine. We raised some money during the dot-com era, and it was a website called OneLevel.com. And we called it like a hip-hop community, culture, content, commerce. And I looked at this sticker that we had. I saw someone sent me a picture of like party we did, and we had all these stickers up. And it said, sports, business, music, culture. And I'm like, that's really the same exact thing that I'm trying to build with boardroom. And I think that it's always going to be more that I want to do because I just love all of this. This is my passion. It's like my family in this. So for me to be able to have a passion that's also my work, that can also give me access to the people that I love, the people that I looked up to growing up, even the young people now that are in sports and music, I hold them in the same regard as I did when I was a young kid because I just, you know, really was in awe of people that were able to get themselves to this like elite level in something that I loved. And the fact that I have a seat at that table now and that I can, you know, be a part of all these things is everything that I've wanted to do. But it's never going to be like, all right, we did it. This is what we came out to do. You know, I'm, I'm constantly thinking of new things to do and new ways to evolve. And I think the fact that we've never really raised money for our business has allowed us to grow it a bit more methodically and be able to continue to evolve as the landscape evolves. You know, when, when I started boardroom, this was before the pandemic, we didn't raise money. I didn't try to pretend that we had this like groundbreaking idea. Because as an investor, I was watching what the digital media world looked like. Who was I to then say, hey, we're going to build this platform and you should give us money. So we just started building it. Then the pandemic hits and then NFTs and collectibles and trading cards become so top of mind to the sports world that I had access to this information and we started covering it and evolving from that point. And then all of a sudden I get into like post-pandemic and I'm starting to see what impact our platform is having. And I'm hearing from people in the music business. So then all of a sudden I'm like, this is the same thing, same conversation. So, you know, I'm ultimately, I'm back in it. And I think that's, what's been really exciting is being able to, you know, have a multiple things happening at one time, but creating this flywheel within our organization, where we're doing it at our own speed and evolving with time. Yeah, it feels like the worlds that the boardroom and you guys operate in today of of
0: sports, business, culture, music, entertainment, all those things, like the way I think about it is I like those things, right? And that's why I tweet about them. That's why I write about them. That's why I create content around them. And if I like them and you like them, how many other people are there that like them, right? And I think that's what we've seen over the last few years, specifically with the success of the boardroom and other places is like – people want that style of content. Yeah. And if they're going to be online, whether it was pandemic or not, like it's only getting bigger. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you guys came at a really good time to to achieve that. Yeah. One of the things I also want to dig into though, is you mentioned briefly a second ago about how Kevin is at the center of this, right? And he is like the centerpiece of it. And then you're building properties off of that and creating like a real entertainment business and, and, and so forth how big is this platform that you guys are building? Like what goes into this? I know there's the boardroom, right? There's 35 ventures, which is your venture arm. There's obviously the Nike business, which I feel like is probably its own thing and and separate and takes a lot of time also. But just talk through like kind of everything that you touch and how big it is so people understand.
1: Yeah. I mean, it started with me being Kevin's manager and anyone that manages an athlete or an artist of that size and that, that kind of caliber it does come with a lot so just kevin alone prior to building what we've been building was helping him build and and run his foundation and now his mom and dad each have different parts of the foundation that they run his father runs the team durant aau organization his mom runs the durant family foundation and the durant center in pg county but helping him build that and helping raise money for that there's his nike business like you said which has done over a hundred million dollars for the last sixteen years. So, you know, at some points over two hundred million, at some points hundred and fifty million, but for the last sixteen years, it's done over a hundred million in sales. So that's a full robust business in its own right. There's the movements and the on court activity and dealing with the team. And then there's his brand deals and everything else that goes into play with Kevin. A lot of people do just do that. That's a really that's a full time job. That's a full time yeah. job. But, you know, these, these athletes are as savvy as young businessmen and women as you're going to meet. And, you know, they, they are drafted already wanting and, and aspiring for so much more that we were never going to stay right there. But what we didn't want to do is just create what we should create. And so many people copy I just like it amazes me how many people don't have original ideas to be honest with you it yeah. blows my mind <laughs> but um you know for us it was like all right well we we don't know what we want to build yet so let's not just build something so we started investing and obviously the proximity to Silicon Valley and the access that Kevin affords us and 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 I think the beauty of having someone like Kevin at the center is we always say that Kevin is the force behind everything we build but he'd never had to be the face And he didn't want to be. If I think if he wanted to be, we could have just had 20 brand deals and the guy would have made an exorbitant amount of money. Yeah. But by investing, it really kind of gave us an understanding of everything that was happening, what innovation looked like, what great founders looked like, where we could be strategic to a founder and to a business. So then we all of a sudden saw what our strengths were. And I think from there, we were able to identify what our storytelling vehicle would be. And we... Always had film and TV shows that we did. I think, you know, that is always this like incredible ROI, right? You, you may not make as much money as you can make from all these other things, but when you see a show that you helped ideate or helped play a part in creating on a big screen or on a TV streaming service, it's a great feeling and it's a great way to extend your brand. But we needed a vehicle that we could storytell around and a brand that we could create that authentically embodied Kevin and I. And that's how boardroom came about. But the investing really gave us that insight of who we were in some ways as businessmen and where we could make an impact and the access and, and information. You know this just from being an investor, you learn so much.
0: Yeah. It feels like one, there's only a select number of athletes in the world that can do this. Right. I think that it's becoming more common and maybe that is expanding and there's there's more and more every year. But the interesting thing, I think, and I'm curious your opinion on is like when I think of some of the other top platforms from production, from movies, from entertainment, from websites, whatever it is that are run by athletes and entertainers. It feels more like it's being pushed by the athlete, right? And the thing that I think is unique about yours is I feel like it could be standalone and be successful, mm-hmm. right? Like it doesn't feel like Kevin has put this massive stamp on it and that's
1: why it's good. Yeah, but I mean, I, that that's also like originally we did by default because I think what the beauty of Kevin is, is that... He doesn't just gratuitously push and promote everything that we do. And I think that's valuable. At times early on, I'd probably be like, come on, man, I need you to keep sharing this thing. But the truth is, is it allowed us to be able to build a brand that someone like you could say, hey, I think this could stand on its own. And then sometimes I think it dawns on us like, oh, wait, we also have this like extra fuel we can put on this fire in the form of Kevin Durant. You know, like we're putting out his show again, et cetera, is on the platform. And I was sitting in the room the other day with our whole like video team and I was like, could you imagine if I walked in here and I told you we were launching Steph Curry's show on our platform next week? Well, we're launching Kevin Durant's show on our platform next week. Regardless of the fact if he's my partner, like we gotta get everything in motion now and we gotta lock in because we have one of the biggest athletes in the world with a show on our boardroom network. Okay, wink, wink, he owns it. But at the same time, because he hasn't just pushed it every day the way maybe The Rock would if he was my partner, right? Or Shaq, different style. So I think it's benefited us and it's allowed us to really find our voice. Yeah, it adds fuel to the fire, right? It's like
0: something that's already going and, and he pushes. How have you built that trust though, right? Because another thing with the athlete and entertainer space is a lot of the managers, if you look at them, grew up with them, have worked with them for decades, right? Knew them when they were younger, stuff like that. You guys obviously met at a, at a later point in your life. How have you built that trust where, where Kevin trusts you to run the boardroom, trusts you to run the foundation, trust you or part of the foundation, trusts you to run the Nike business, trusts you to make investments? Like, how have you built that over time?
1: Yeah, well, well, first of all, you'd be surprised. There's not 100 LeBron James yeah, and yeah, Jay-Z. Yeah. like. I think what gets lost sometimes is while they may have friends around them that grew up with them, crazy thing is, is that the friends that grew up with them happen to be incredible businessmen and entrepreneurs, because it's not just like LeBron went like this and picked some friends. Like the guys around him are standalone generational businessmen that could operate anywhere, with or without LeBron.
0: They were given an opportunity, but if they failed at that opportunity, he would, have, I mean, he's a yeah. generational
1: athlete. And it wouldn't be what it was. He'd yeah. still be what he was, but yeah. th- this isn't just cause. And the same thing goes for Jay-Z or anyone else that's built an organization like that with close friends around them. It's not just because they're their close friends. But for the most part, that doesn't exist because it's that hard to find that. Katie and I met when he was 19, though. You know what I'm saying? We met in 2008, we didn't start working together in 2012 or 13 but i think great partnerships when you meet them at the time what you don't know is that you're supposed to be great partners yeah <laughs> so the fact is like we gel and i communicate and i think that i forced us in some ways to have that kind of relationship because i'm very open I'm very in tune and in touch with like emotion and what I'm going through or what he could be going through. I'm real. And I think being real with him from the beginning was something he really appreciated. And he's smart. He's super duper smart and has like an incredible instinct and read. And I think that he's probably gone off that most of his life. I know I have. So I think that you kind of take a leap of faith in the beginning because you feel that feeling with somebody that you want to trust them. That's why so many people get burned. Yeah, But I think for us, it was like, all right, well, you keep doing it over and over again. You keep showing up. And I tell a lot of young people that ask me about that part of my relationship and, and the role I play in his life is it's changed, clearly, because he's older and our business has grown and I'm in different places at different times. But the first six, seven years that we worked together, if he was doing an appearance, I was there. If he was going to India for something for the NBA, I was there. I didn't miss anything because you can't earn that trust calling someone on the phone. You can't earn that trust not being at a game in Oklahoma City on a Wednesday in the middle of the winter. You got to fly on some botched plane that was like the one plane that went to OKC. And then think that you're going to get the same level of trust. You got to be able to stand in the fire. And I, and I think hopefully he saw that and I and I did that. And now I don't have to do it to the same extent, but you have to do that to earn that trust. When he moved from Oklahoma
0: City to Golden State – There's a lot of people that will talk about kind of the basketball sense of that. But was any part of that decision driven by the business side of things? Because I imagine being, like you mentioned, in Silicon Valley and being around these these companies, these operators, these investors, accelerated things, right? Maybe it would have gotten there anyways, but it certainly accelerated to some degree. Was that part of the conversation to go there? Or was it simply, I want to go win championships, this is a good fit for me, et cetera?
1: Yeah, well, it's always about basketball first for him, and he's got a real... Clear idea of what he needs from a basketball perspective, and that's like the greatest myth that gets spoken about. An age, you know, an agent. How could he let him do this, or how could he let him go here or let him go there? I don't have say in where he goes. I'm. I support. People thought
0: that I, I'm still reading online. People thought that you were getting into the Knicks.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they right? literally
0: thought that. Exactly.
1: Yeah. But the truth is, is that I supported the decision to the Bay. I obviously understood Silicon Valley to an extent, but. In no way did I think or did he think, all right, let's go there. I'm going to play basketball and win. We're going to set up shop and get access to incredible deal flow and meet all these people. As much as we knew that leaving Oklahoma City and going to the Bay would obviously introduce a whole new world to us, what it was going to be, I didn't know. The truth is, is that I'm like one of those people that ask questions and really only need to experience something and see something one time and understand it. So it's like the same thing with a mistake. If I make a mistake and someone tells me I did it, I really won't do it again. My wife would probably say different. But I remember in high school, my coach used to say that to me because as soon as they told me one thing, I was like, all right, cool. I didn't know it. I probably didn't study. That's why I don't know any of this stuff. But once you tell me, I'll get it. So the thing was in the Bay, when I got there, I was like, all right, well, like, where are these deals that everyone talks about? One of the first things that happened was Steve Stout asked if I was down to throw a party at Ben Horowitz's house for Kevin's birthday. We did that. Steve said, work the room. I worked the room. I met Ron Conway. Ron Conway takes Kevin and I to dinner at Tosca. It used to be this restaurant in San Francisco. It may still be there, actually. And we went there, and he brings a list of all these deals that he was investing in from the fund at the time, all his angel deals. They are angel investors. I just went through these things, asking questions. Wait, what do you mean? What's Series A? What does that mean? All right, cool. Check. And that's how I learned everything. And same with Kevin. And then we just kind of got high off that, right? You just sort of sponge, like, oh, we have dinner with this person tomorrow. Oh, we're meeting Brian from this company called Coinbase. Oh, we're meeting this person. We're meeting this person. And that's where the work comes in. That's where I get frustrated because that's when people that understand or think that access is opportunity. Access is the cheat code. Access is access. You have to work for access or you can get access by a door opening a bit wider because your business partner is Kevin Durant. I'm not stupid, but at the same time, you know,
0: well, there's a million athletes that have access
1: that don't do what you guys have done. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. And, and also it's almost like, in some ways, not thinking that a lot of these founders have any idea or thought bigger than like, oh, here's a big name, let me let him in. They just don't. You know, The ones that do usually aren't gonna build successful businesses.
0: How do those conversations usually go? Is it the founders are looking for him to publicly back them? Or is it simply, hey guys, we're writing a check here. We believe in you as an operator. We believe in the company. If any of that additional stuff comes down the
1: road, great. But we're not gonna commit to that in the meantime. No. Well, what happened was is, I went to work with Kevin exclusively and start our own business. And, and Kevin and I were talking and had been talking. And he, he was like, I'm not really trying to do these brand deals, man. Like, I got Nike. I don't mind doing certain things if it's benefiting the foundation. But I'm not a pitch guy. And, and at one point in his career, he was. So now here I am sitting with companies that we're going to invest in. And they're asking me like, oh, we only have an allocation of fifty grand, right? In the beginning, when we were doing really early stage, and they're like, we'd love Kevin to do X, Y, and Z, and I'd be like, well, that makes no sense. We're going to turn down multiple millions of dollars here. Now we're going to give you money, and you want him to work. So for I'd a s- small
0: piece of equity, yeah, And I yeah. said to
1: everybody from day one, he is not a celebrity investor. I hate you even calling us a strategic investor. To be honest, every investor should be strategic we're investors. And there's a different value add from us. And Kevin can do something for you when appropriate, like an investor would. And so will I. And it's going to be coming in different forms and fashion. It's not always going to be like you get to have him on Instagram. Here's a secret, guys. He's not pushing our stuff on Instagram for our business. That's just not who he is. Now find the real value in who we are. And I think we did we found the companies that valued who we were as a partnership that understood kevin's power and how he could have an impact on a company without having to tweet it or post it or wear a jersey of it and walk into the arena holding something. It's just not who he is.
0: Yeah, I would argue though that that's a huge advantage, his approach to it and realizing that though, right? Because a quick story, a founder the other day told me, I won't say the company's name, but he met with Lamella Ball, right? And he was getting him to invest in the company and they sit down, they have dinner, they do all these things and Lamella goes, so how much are you gonna pay me, right? And he's like, no, you're gonna write a check to us, right? And that, that just didn't connect, right? He's a young player, obviously Kevin's older and, and understands it probably a bit more now, but I feel like people have a hard time figuring that out at first. Like, oh, I can get much more leverage. I can build this business, right? I can get meaningful equity. It'll grow over time rather than just a check in the door. Yeah, And it takes time off his plate too, right? The brand deals and doing commercials and all these other things. So I feel like it's a win-win from that perspective, but it's difficult to get everyone to realize that initially.
1: Yeah. It's also difficult to choose the right companies yeah. to invest in and to get great deal flow. You know, I think equity is thrown around by young Talent or young artists or young people in general. I don't even think it's just artists. And sometimes or it's, it's worthless, right? Yeah. And also, it's like, you know, yeah, like to just say you have equity, you know, it's like, I think sometimes it's like when people buy homes, you know, and they want to tell you, like, everyone loves to tell you when they close on their home. And it's, and then I get it. It's an amazing feeling when you buy something for yourself. But when you invest in something and you got equity, like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Unless, you have a certain amount of equity. If you have to do a certain amount of work or wait a certain amount of time, was the equity worth it? What's the ROI on that equity? And and every business isn't gonna succeed. I mean, I look at our fund. I just got an email the other day from one of the companies we invested in that told us they were going out of business. And I was like, oh, wait, I forgot that's part of this. You know <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I forgot about that. Yeah. Not that that hasn't happened before. I'm just saying that like, yeah, it's part of it.
0: Well, it's power laws too, right? You're basically investing in a bunch of smaller businesses, hoping that there's a Coinbase, a Postmates, uh, you yeah. know, any of these other businesses inside of it. And if you have a big enough portion of the equity,
1: it's, you know. Even yeah, it. and think about this. Postmates, when it was really popping, when Kevin signed with the Warriors, we had already invested in Postmates. And the founder asked me if we could do a billboard campaign in San Francisco with Kevin. And it was KD delivered. It was fire with the Postmates Yeah, logo. I remember he was yeah. on the,
0: the bicycle or something, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. We said yes to that. You would have to pay him millions of dollars at that point for that. But that was like a – that's a strategic investor, right? Like I was – both of us. Kevin, as soon as I brought it up to Kevin, he's like, I'll do that. And that's where I mean he's got a great instinct. He can like see the landscape a bit and understand where it's going to fit before and after, which is why he's able to make decisions for himself as it relates to basketball where people will be like, yo, you know what they're going to do to you if you do that? You know what they're going to say about you if you do that? And he's like, yeah. But then you realize like, okay, well, sometimes, you know, you got to make decisions and time goes on and people forget. And there's a certain level of reading the room that you have to do. And I think like that's the same way he was able to look and go, yeah, Postmates, billboard would be fresh.
0: I, I always joke that you can tell how much an athlete owns of a business or how much upside there is, depending on how much they post about it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and McGregor with his, with his whiskey, other athletes with their, their businesses or alcohol yeah. too. And it's funny because athletes realize that, right. They, they understand that, Hey, if I promote this, I have, yep. I have a platform, all of
1: this stuff. But I have, a, I have, you know what though? He's Kevin's an anomaly. Cause I would say that he doesn't do that. Yeah, He actually does it for what he thinks the look is right. In yeah, terms yeah. of Which involves if the company is successful, for sure. But I think the billboards were fire. You know what I'm saying? It was like, that's fire. That's a great look. I'm entering into the valley. I'm brand new there. And my billboard's going to be up with a company I invested in. And think about how dope that looked, right, in 2016.
0: Yeah. What do you think about new media? I put that in quotes because that has come up over the last six months or 12 months. Kevin's probably part of it. You're part of it, obviously, with the boardroom and other stuff. Is this something that like is changing for good? What do you think it looks like in the years to come?
1: Well, yeah, I think it's changing for good. And I think it like probably could mean a handful of different things and also different for people that are like forced to be in the media every day as opposed to somebody that's like trying to create in the media. So when Draymond says that, it's almost like, nah, I got the power. I'm going to dictate what I say. You can't mess my words up. I'm going to say exactly what I want. Can't stop it. To me, that's one version of the new media. The other version of new media is the unique ways that you can build a media business, you know, and, and how you can launch something and how you can communicate with a community or an audience. That's part of the new media. I think the problem is, is that people think the new media just means like, fuck you. Yeah, talk shit. Right. Yeah. I don't think that's at all what Draymond's saying. Yeah. New media is what LeBron and Mav did last week or Mav did when he didn't let the Kanye thing air right? It's taking control. And yeah. I think
0: part of it for athletes too, and, and Draymond specifically is, is realizing that they're the asset here, right? That when he gets one of game ends in the NBA finals, he goes up on stage, he has to do media commitments, right? And he can say a variety of things. He can give short answers, long answers, good answers, bad answers, or he can give no answers and just kind of go through it and then go say what he wants to say on his own platform yeah. that he owns and he has equity in and all these other things, right? R- regardless of the setup. But I feel like they're they're understanding now. New media just means that they own it, they operate it, they understand their power relative to the, maybe they, what they did in the past.
1: Yeah. Well, and also the distribution is there now.
0: Yeah, it didn't always exist. No. Yeah, you were giving it away for free for ESPN or whoever it was because they would put the capital behind it to get
1: it to. You have to sell it. Think yeah. about that, right? You have to sell it. So, like, if Draymond wanted to speak as soon as a game ended, and he's on this the platform after the press conference. He can say whatever he wants, but then there's these repercussions to it, right? The NBA could find you. The team could find you because you're, you're on their media day or you're on their media panel. I think what became clear is like, wait, hold up. I'm going to go home now. <laughs> I'm going to expand upon what I just said. I'm going to clear the air. You can't run with this. You can't take what I just said and tell me what I said or take my headline and make that the story. I will clear the air now. Yeah, and I think that's all part of it. But I also think there's a part of it. It's just like the media looks different now. Like one of the biggest Hollywood studios is Spring Hill. It's owned by Maverick Carter and LeBron James. Okay, that's new. It's not owned by company, company, this guy. You know, the people that have historically owned it. The media is new. New people that are controlling the conversation, controlling the narrative. And it's coming in a different form and fashion. Thankfully. Well, I would argue
0: that they understand what consumers want better than anyone right? The Maverick and LeBron and you and Kevin and these people, right? Is because traditionally the networks, they were getting told what people might want, right? Trying to drive that direction. You guys know exactly what people want, whether it's around sports, business, investing, whatever it is. So you guys have an innate advantage to go and drive views and audience and all these things. Yeah.
1: Well, we know what the people who we think will watch what we make will want, right? Yeah. And we can control how we market to them. We can control how and when and where we put that material and all of that qualifies as the new media. I mean, you are too. You know what I'm saying? You can dictate what you want and make a spectacle of something in the sports world by controlling it yourself. And if you went and auditioned for a role at ESPN, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you may not have got the job. Yeah, You know, and you wouldn't have had a platform. Yeah,
0: I think most people understand today the most powerful thing you can do is tie things to your name, right? Yeah. And it's the reason we talk about this all the time. When I first started doing a lot of this stuff, people see what's going on, right? They see they see things are, are going well and whatnot, and they want you to go do these things for them. And that was like the, the biggest thing for me initially, was just understanding that it's gonna be way more valuable in the long run if you just keep everything and you build it on your own. You obviously have to have the ability, the drive, the ambition, capital, all of these things, right? To be able to make this happen and build a real business, which isn't easy. But I think that most people understand today that that didn't understand it before. Yeah.
1: I mean, well, think about it. Even when I tried to get you to come join a boardroom, I remember one of the things I would always say is you still are Joe Pomp. I'm not trying to get Joe yeah. Pomp to be boardroom. It sounds like you're about to pitch again. No, I'm not. I promise you I'm not going <laughs> to pitch you. I gave up. I gave up. Now I just come on your pod whenever you ask. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't think you can walk in the door, talk to someone and not Be cognizant of that and be like, all right, well, you can't do X, Y, and Z. Those words don't work with young people anymore. Those don't work in this climate. You can't say that. And it's not actually like you will be left behind trying to approach partnering, collaborating, creating, building by thinking that when you join with somebody that you're just going to consume them that like, all right, I love what you've built, love who you are. Here's a check. By you, and now your your name is no longer Joe Pomp. Your yeah. name's Boardroom. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's not going to work anymore.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Is there anyone that you guys look up to on the business side, like within sports specifically, but even elsewhere, is there anyone that you guys look at and say, hey, we really like what they're doing? Not necessarily to copy or emulator or whatever, yeah. but just you're driven by, right? You say that they're so, I mean, doing a great so job. So many
1: people. Yeah, for sure. Historically or currently? Both. Both. I mean, historically, like Jimmy Iovine has been a major, major, major motivation and inspiration for me. You know, everyone that I was able to, like, be around and meet in the music days that built these, like, enterprises for themselves, really learned so much from my time in the music business. Obviously, you know, we've talked about LeBron and Mav and Rich and Randy and what they've built, but, you know, think about the amount of athletes with successful businesses now. It's incredible. But I think, like, from a media perspective, I look at a company like Vanity Fair, I think that... You know that's been a north star as I start to look at what the potential could be of what I'm building. I think there's elements of what Hype Beast and Complex did that were really incredible over the last 20 years. Kid Steven Victor in the music business, I think, is incredible. I mean, I think people that like carve out their own niche and their own identity and their own thing, ready, right? no matter what size it is, is I never look at it from the scale and size or how much money. I look at it from like. Is a unique? By the way, I had to look at myself like that when we were building Boardroom. I'm like, I got to make sure, because obviously LeBron and them built, and Mav built the blueprint in the beginning, right? I was around Jay-Z. He built the blueprint in the beginning. So you take elements of these things from people, but you got to try really hard not to copy people. They're so, I'm telling you, we talked about this earlier and even before we got on air. That's like my kryptonite, because someone can always spend more or raise more And then somehow that can like overshadow the idea that you didn't really come up with anything. You know, you just created what you saw. And if you're going to create what you saw, at least make it yours. And I see a lot of people. I I see a lot of people in sports media right now that are just like insert exact same copy that they see other people do. That's frustrating. I'm sure you feel it too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely do. And I think it's honestly something that I even struggled with initially, like personally, right? It was like, I see this is super successful or or from the outside looking in, it seems super successful. I like the way they do that. That looks good. It seems to be working. Like, why don't I do that? And you realize pretty quickly, at least I did initially. That's not the best way to do it, yep. right? People remember creativity. They remember something that's different, that's that's authentic, that feels like yourself versus something that feels like someone else or they've seen elsewhere. Even if it's better quality, better editing, better whatever, yep. right? Better copy. If it's authentic and it feels different, they, they respond to that much better than they would else.
1: Well, think about it. So in the last year, we've started covering music on our Instagram. We're putting up real estate listings and these kind of unique videos that you can only find on Instagram, right? Yeah. So in that way, like we're all taking some form of inspiration. Yeah. But when you look back at like, okay, where is it coming from? What's the brand that is now going to put this out again? And is it real to you? Or are you just putting it out? You saw it got a lot of like somewhere else. Maybe if you people just, like yeah, it. Or yeah. if you think it looks good on someone else's platform, that it should look good on your platform. But what I think new media also represents is like a credibility and a believability. So everything that I – want to put out on boardroom it's part of my life i was in the music business right i i looked at it this way here's the thesis if i'm in the boardroom this hypothetical boardroom where people are now wearing sweatpants and sneakers and they're all different shapes and sizes and genders and races it's not what people thought boardrooms look like what do I talk about in there? What goes on in that boardroom? It's not just during the meeting. What do you talk about when you walk in and you're catching up with everybody? You might talk about sports scores. You might talk about crazy deal you saw. You might talk about some wild listing you saw. Some home that was sold. Drake just bought this. Yeah. Then you have the meeting and what could be going on in that meeting? You're talking business, tech, sports. Might. Encompass fashion in some regard, then the meeting's over, and you might be talking about what's happening that night, what events, Oh, did you hear it? you saw so and so did this. And I just try to keep it in that lens. But if you're not really having those conversations and you don't really understand it, you're not really in it, then you shouldn't do it. And that's part of what new media is to me right now. If we
0: had a list of the most entertaining athletes on Twitter, where is Kevin? is he is he one? Is he one? Yeah. Where, where did that come from? I, I, it's the funniest thing I've ever seen, by the way, some of the responses and the tweets and how yeah. he interacts. It's authentic. You can tell, obviously, right? It's him. But I feel like it's, it's created this personality of him online, which is amazing.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that, like, he has this ability to be very practical about certain things. And when he is, then you can start to look at it in a different way. And it doesn't mean everyone will believe it or agree with it. But when someone says to him, like, why do you take this so personally? Why are you so sensitive? Why do you respond to these people? He could flip it and be like, well, look, I'm on these platforms. I have no idea who these people are. They're talking wildly about me. I'm seeing it. And with my fingers right here, I could come back with some funny-ass comment right now. I'm going to snap back at them. And there's no harm, no foul. Like, at that point, it is probably what the platform was made for and built for. Now, I think that where it's gotten dangerous, not for Kevin, but in general, is that that's allowed everybody to have a point of view and everybody to Say speculate. stuff that they
0: wouldn't say to you in person
1: either, right? Oh, yeah, or just talk on your life, on your business, on you know, people that have a following that can just speculate or, or spread a rumor or, or gossip that because of the power of that platform can dictate reality. Um, so I think, you know, from that standpoint, it has real life ramifications when it's that type of stuff. But for KD to snap at some fan or some or Michael Rappaport or somebody that's like saying some wild shit on Twitter. Like, you know you like it. Everyone likes it. You think it's funny. He's clever. Then you go and you say, oh, I wish he wouldn't be so sensitive. Like, how do you really know he's sensitive? Because, you know, whether some of these things affect him or not, we're all human. Certain things affect people. He's not immune to that. But if he has fun with this platform that is at his disposal, that he's on, and he sees somebody and he reads his mentions and somebody says X, Y, and Z about him. If he has fun with it and you know you have fun reading it, I find like it's just part of this era right now. And I think it's going to be really representative of this era.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I want to talk about 35 Ventures. I believe the numbers, the first fund was $30 million invested, $200 million on paper valuation now, give or take. Opening a second fund, I believe. Mm-mm. No second fund.
1: No. Well, we ne- we never operated as a fund. We called it a fund. We okay. invested from the balance sheet of the business. We never got outside capital. You know, so was, never raised money. Never did, no. Just never raised money for anything we've done. Gotcha. We are going to, but we've never raised money for anything we've done. That's but, what I was
0: going to ask because it seems like, given the track record, now you have this this flywheel, right, where you have the entertainment side, you have the media side, you have the investing side, you have everything now, where you can kind of dictate things. You could probably raise a lot of money, right? Not only from institutional partners, but other athletes, yeah. other individuals. Why haven't you done that? I guess, and, and it sounds like you might.
1: Well, no, I mean, I, I think also it's got to be priority and timing. I mean, hopefully, I could always raise outside money to be a venture capitalist or an investor if I wanted. But, you know, I have respect for people that have certain jobs, certain, you know, certain skill sets, and I. I had great access to deals in 2016 from being in the Bay and I took advantage of it. And then we built something that allowed us to invest over a five, six year period. Then we moved to New York and I got like doubly excited about our media platform, which by the way, you know, historically one would say, Oh, you're in New York, media capital of the world. Well, whether that benefited us or not, it somehow allowed us to focus and hone in more on our media platform. As that started to happen, we started to see different deals, and we started to see deals in the sports space. And I think anybody in this world would say that one of their bucket list things would be to own a sports team. Well, in the last three or four years, new versions of what owning a sports team or a league became available. And as that happened, I started to see a different type of deal flow. You know, you got to put the work in. I'm not there anymore in the Bay. So I have relationships, but I'm not... Necessarily on the ground trying to create more and more deal flow. So now here I am in New York in our offices. We have a staff growing every month because of our media platform. How and many I'm, employees is the whole business now? Like 40 something. It's a lot of employees. Yeah. Most of them for boardroom. Yeah. And when we started seeing some of these investments in sports, we started to see like, wow, this is actually. A, something we would love to own. You know, you have to think about investing as you're owning this thing. You want to own it? Because you're investing any equity in something, you want to own it. So we had had some success in venture. We weren't seeing the same type of deals. We still have great deal flow, but we weren't on the street in the valley anymore. Now I'm seeing sports opportunities, things that I understand even more, and things that I say, well, you know what? If we could invest in MLS... And we can tap into what an MLS community looks like and fan base looks like. Not only is this a sound investment because we were able to get in a good valuation, but look at this incredible access that we get for our platform. Now I can have unique offerings from our team and from this league that only boardroom can get. And then we go ahead and we do the same thing in women's soccer, NWSL. I'm obviously bullish on women's soccer and the league, regardless of the report, which was awful. But now the league has to focus on having the right owners in place and building this the right way. But you know women's soccer can sell out a stadium in America of 80,000 people. And our best players in the world are here. So all of a sudden, that became another unique offering to my media platform. Paul Rabel, PLL. Well, I could invest in another tech company or I could invest in building this lacrosse league with a rock star founder, and his brother's a rock star founder, And now all of a sudden, I have that unique offering for my platform. So it was clear that as we closed the first fund and the business is all kind of rolled up in one now, that we can invest in sports and keep seeing that as a great asset class that we can keep long term, but also what incredible muscle that is to help build boardroom and our media platform.
0: Yeah. How do you deal with misinformation, we'll call it, right? Like about your business, about investments, about whatever it is, right? Because I'm guilty of this to some degree, right? Certainly and and with the amount of creators that are online now, especially younger creators, I feel, right, that are putting content out there, a lot of this is just Google, right? Like they're just like, hey, look, I saw Rich and Kevin invest in this company. This is how much it's worth now. Here's their investment, right? Yeah. They don't think about dilution, they don't think about any of these things, right? do you guys think about that often is it's kind of just like there's so much of it because of his status that you can't do anything
1: about it well well the misinformation about him as it relates to like him playing or some of the shit that came out this summer that's frustrating the misinformation as it relates to our business is different because you know when they did an article in the new york post or something about kevin and my business or something, they said that like we had made a billion dollars on something and i was like No, but everyone knows Katie and I did just to make a billion dollars in this thing. On like one deal? Yeah, or or, or our fund or something like (laughs) that, right? So, you know, that kind of thing is, it's sloppy. Yeah. Not sloppy on the New York Post. It's just like, they must have Googled it, like you said, or sought out information and someone else confirmed it. And that happens a lot, unfortunately, because of the amount of information that's out there. But what I've realized is unless something is said over and over and over and over again, People don't tend to really believe it. And there's such an opportunity the next minute, the next day, to reframe the conversation, to rechange yeah. the narrative. So as soon as I see something that's off, I'm like, all right, well, this is not, this isn't being read right. I had someone come meet with me today, a friend of mine, and he was like, man, you're doing so many things. I'm like, yeah. He said, what are you most focused on? I said, boredom. He goes, the ESPN show? And I was like, God damn. <laughs> but then I just realized, like, how long ago was that? Today. No, how long ago was the show? It was four four years years ago, ago, but but it made me realize was like, all right, well, that's the work I have to do still. I thought about where he lived, thought about where he must consume content and was like, All right, I gotta fix that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't get twisted on it. We're fortunate no one said some wild shit. You know, they have numbers off or If they call me Katie's agent and like, you know, in some ways minimize what we've built, like that's fine because we can fix it. You can fix it the next day. You can change the narrative in one minute. Yeah. What did you learn from Jay-Z? So much obviously, but I think from observing, it's just the level of calm, you know, the level of cool and calm and taste and being able to like stand on your decision and, and, and what you feel because when you do that, there's no wrong answer. You know what I'm saying? You got to make people believe it, but when you can calm down, you know when you're when you were watching sports when you were younger, everyone would say that Michael Jordan saw the game in slow motion. I I don't understand what that means. But it's so obvious, you know, I get it now. But when things are slowed down and you calm down and you take a deep breath, literally and figuratively, and you start to see things in the moment and make your decision, Clear as day. It's powerful. No, he
0: doesn't act on any emotion. He doesn't, it's basically just like very long term. He's a
1: prognosticator. It's like, I mean, he, it's like when you make a decision and you can understand five or six things that can be affected by the decision, you're in like your sweet spot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And when you can do that and you use that superpower and you go, all right, well, yeah, you may think this is red, but I'm telling you, this thing is blue. You know what I'm saying? So sorry, it's not red. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, shit, it just turned into it's blue now. He was right because he had the time to relax, see all the angles and make his decision. And I think it's that, I mean, is a million things. But just being able to like lead by example, by being so cool and calm and making sound decisions and having the ability to like make a decision that everyone else may not have made is a tough thing to do as a leader and CEO. Who's better at fantasy football? I am. So,
0: for people that don't know, you're in a league together, right? And yeah. I, I, there's a bunch of other people in the league. It's been running for how long? Like 10, 15 years something 15 like that. 15 years, yeah. It's a long time. Yeah. Have you won the league? Yeah, twice. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> what is the uh is the payout public? He Have you guys it said it? Uh
1: no, it's not public. Yeah. Okay.
0: But is it is it primarily money or is it like a like it's a money. task or something? It's yeah, money. Yes. money.
1: I'm just making sure. I don't know. Dude. It's money. Best uh, part about the league was, as for every young hustler out there, is I'd say the first seven years of the league, I couldn't even afford to buy. And I had to just beg, borrow, and steal to get in that league. But I understood that once you were in, there was a certain camaraderie and a certain like bond that was within this group of people that was valuable, you know, not just in business, like the friendships and the kind of mentorship. I mean, one of the greatest. Pieces of advice i i got and it was simple was sitting next to jesse itzler in our draft and he could see that my like head was spinning and i don't know how he saw it, but he was like Yo, what's going on and i was like just spilled it all and he was like do this yeah relax and i knew it i knew it i mean some of the people in that league are some of my biggest mentors steve stout you know yeah Jesse seems like he's got like a good perspective on life. I think the whole league has a good perspective. That's yeah, yeah it should be a nickname for our league. I mean, and that's almost in a lot of ways what I was saying about Jay, right? Is like, you need great perspective to make decisions like that.
0: Yeah. So when this gets released, I think it'll be announced. You guys are buying a pickleball team. Yeah, we bought a pickleball <laughs> bought team. Bought a pickleball team. Own and operating
1: this Owned pickleball team. Tell me why. Well, I fell in love with the sport, first of all. Yeah. Number two, I think... To be able to have the opportunity to be a part of a league at the same time that the sport is being popularized at such a rapid pace is once in a lifetime. And to be able to be a part of seeing this league evolve and the league figure out how it can be the best version of itself while the whole world is becoming familiar with the sport is a once in a lifetime and to be able to get in at this point and make impact and be able to have control over our team. And as this evolves, build a brand around our team and then to have it tie into boardroom and let boardroom be a storyteller as this whole team comes to life. I mean, I couldn't have been more excited and I really wanted KD to love the sport too. It would have felt wrong. So when we went to Austin, Texas, we were out there to see Bama UT. Yeah. Crazy, crazy ass game. Oh my God. And we went to play pickleball with the commissioner and a handful of other team owners and people in Austin. Austin's like one of the epicenters of the sport now. And he loved it too. And the culture around the sport is unlike anything I've ever seen.
0: Yeah. I feel like whenever I post about it, it's like, yeah. which I didn't expect, right? And I think the other thing that's mistaken about some of these investments and deals, and I certainly hear it to some extent is like, oh, you really think that's going to be the next NBA? It doesn't need to be the NBA, no. right?
1: It, it doesn't need to be the NBA to be successful. No, none of them do. That's a really good point because it's, it's kind of the overall thesis on our whole sports asset investing yeah. is like, let's invest in these assets and in these teams and these leagues because they're starting to build and realize, okay, Why are we trying to copy the NBA, the NFL, MLB? These are 100-year-old institutions, 75-year-old institutions. The world is completely different. There's a whole new way to build your audience and your fan base. Look at what Athletes Unlimited is doing, right, by creating a new format and a new scoring system. The playing field's wide open now. You don't have to mimic it. So, And the UFC really, I think, in a lot of ways, impacted a lot of this thought process. Like they built a business and a brand. I think the UFC is one of the most impressive case studies in ever. sports
0: ever, ever, but certainly over the last couple of
1: decades, right? Without like, a question,
0: if you think about it, they bought a business for I think $2 million that was losing money. They lost $40 million up to one point over the next five years. And now it's close to $10 billion valuation on the business, right? Given whatever Endeavor wants to value it at. But it's, it's a big, big, big business now. It's one of the fastest growing sports globally. And I think that what they don't get enough credit for actually is they were actually at the forefront of a lot of the what we'll call like new media, new age advertising, that kind of stuff, right? Like Formula One drive to survive. Everyone in the US loves Formula One now because they saw a show on Netflix. Well, guess what? The UFC saved their business by doing the ultimate fighter on Spike TV, right? And they were paying athletes to post on social media in 2010, right? On Twitter and these things. So I think it's a great case study because if you can build something like that, it's a home run, right? Yeah,
1: without question. And I think that the Thing people have to be careful of now, though, is I've heard if a bunch of different institutions talk about wanting to build their drive to survive. Yeah, that was an amazing show. It benefited F one, but it was an amazing show, and it's tough to make an amazing show. The UFC did their version of what it was in the beginning that helped seed the messaging around that brand. You can't just create your drive to survive. You have to figure out what your story is. What is your tactic? And I think that's why. I'm excited about some of the investments we've made because we may not be the solution for all of them. But I do think we have a unique platform that can you know, spread a bit of the message around a certain team or a certain league in a different way. And that's what these companies need. You yeah. cannot be repeating the NBA, like you said. Yeah, I was going to uh,
0: – I would argue that you guys are the drive to survive, right? Like the boardroom. You guys have that access now. We're, we're, people want behind-the-scenes access. That's yeah. what it is, right? It's the reason why Hard Knocks has been so successful for the NFL for two decades. It's why Formula One drive to survive. Was, it's why everyone's trying to copy it. And as investors in these business with this media platform, it's mutually beneficial to both of you to now have exclusive content on your platform that you can offer out to people, right? Yeah.
1: And, and it doesn't even have to be exclusive, by the way. Yeah. Because – What's exclusive anymore, right? Yeah. It, in but two it's, minutes, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's about how unique it is that you got it and distributed it in the way you did and that the brand that is putting the content out is a brand that represents something to people. So it's like, I look at what you've done and your brand on Twitter is your name. You may not think of your name as a brand, but now anything you post, certain people are gonna have a certain comfort level in believing it. And reacting to it and engaging in it because they bought into you. Yeah. So you got to look at that with all of your content, which is why I get frustrated when I see certain platforms that mimic because I'm like, but you don't, you're not like that. So yeah. if you're not really like that, how can you do that? Right. Like it's clear as day how our content now is different from some of our peers. And to me, if you ask anyone that knows Kevin and I, is authentically embodying us, you know, and I think people have to be careful of that because the brand is going to be really powerful in the future, more powerful than ever before. You know, you go to a streaming service and it's just like, Oh my God, where do I start? Well, I could see a world in which you're starting with brands you're comfortable with. You're going on to Hulu and Oh my God, there's huddle up. I'll watch anything from huddle up. Boom. You know, a 24 has done that. To a degree in film, because if you know, you know. Right. So every time you see their name, you're like, this is going to be dope.
0: Is there like my last question is, is there a final thing that you guys want, like that you're looking forward to that's on the bulletin board? Is it Kevin wants to be a billionaire? You want to sell a company for eight, nine figures, 10 figures? Like, is there anything that you guys look to and you're like,
1: hey, this will this will be success for us? I mean, there's little ones like I obviously like everyone being a part of an NBA team from an ownership standpoint, but also like running an organization would be really fun. I'm not doing anything till I build boardroom to the point where I believe that it's like operating at the size that I want it to be at. I believe in that. But, you know, I just love this stuff so much. I'm 45 years old, but I always refer to that as young old, whereas like I'm not young anymore, but old people think I am. You know what I'm saying? And I have a lot of experience, but I have so much experience to be had in front of me that my biggest mandate for myself is just like to be able to keep doing this like as long as I can, to really be in the game, to have a seat at the table, to have a voice. I don't think I'm going to be the richest person in the sports world by far, but I think I'm different. And I think people can acknowledge that the way I've come about it, the way I've got here is different. You know, you can't point to someone that has the same story as me. I like people like that. You can't find another Michael Rubin. So whether Michael Rubin had billions of dollars or has 500 grand, there's not another one of him. And to me, that's what's dope. Like carve your unique path and stay there. And to me, it's like I feel like, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have carved a unique path. And now I got to really cement it. And, you know, I think people also got to remember that you live a long life. So when you're having a little bit of success or you feel really good about what you're building, you know that it's not going to stay there. You have to be able to evolve and adapt and reinvent yourself. I've done it so many times in my life, but I haven't changed who I am. So if I was a manager of producers and artists or I'm investing in venture or boardroom or show I'm doing, same way in every room. Talk the same, act the same. This is like my story. You, you may not think of it this way, but I certainly do because
0: I've had people tell me before. But a lot of young people in sports look up to you. They say, look, Rich was in this situation where – he wasn't a player, right? He wasn't a, a NBA player. He wasn't in a professional sports league. He wasn't an agent. He wasn't, you know, working with these guys, brokering deals, that kind of stuff. But he, he worked his way through these different jobs. And now he represents one of the highest, one of the highest earning for sure, but one of the most, one of the biggest figures in sports. And not only do you represent him from a management perspective and everything else, but you built these businesses. A lot of this, I assume, has been done through what you were talking about earlier, right? Just relationships, really. Is there advice that you, you tell people when they ask you this kind of stuff? Like kids come up to you and they say, hey, look, I want to be in this position. I want to work in sports. I, I want to be in a similar spot you are.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's like I still look up to so many people that that's dope when I hear it. It's also odd. But I would say that it's like now, I don't know if I realize in the moment, like wins are wins, little wins are wins. So if you Google me right now and write my name in New York Times, there's an article in 2005 about me and this other guy, Damon DeGraff, as like, the big managers in the DJ world, biggest celebrity manager. I was getting interviewed and I'm like, I got this guy going to DJ this party. This guy's doing this person's party. I'm making this. I was at Tom Cruise's wedding and I'm like talking all this shit. This was 18 years ago that I was a DJ manager. Like I was a manager of DJs, what I did. And I, I was a, I was living it and I loved it. And it was an incredible, incredible win in my life. But I didn't stay there at all. Then all of a sudden, one of the people that I'm managing, Mark Ronson, we decided to start a label together. Now I am own a record label, but we didn't build Rockefeller. It didn't turn out to be the biggest label ever. But in our studio was Amy Winehouse and J. Cole and Mark and Wale and all Meek Mill. all these people coming in our studio back then. That was a big win for me, another win. And I took that and I got a job job at Jay-Z's place and I just kept going. And I think the biggest thing is to just like, keep going, enjoy those wins, stack them. Everyone can't be Mark Zuckerberg or Kevin Durant or these people that make money right out of high school and college. You got to go, you got to keep doing it.
0: Yeah. I love that. All right. That's it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Everyone that's listening or watching, check out the boardroom, 35V, Rich on uh, Twitter, Instagram, et cetera. They're amazing. They're doing great stuff. Thank you for doing this. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate of it, brother. All right, everyone. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, I appreciate you listening to The Joe Pomp Show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify so that you don't miss any episodes going forward. And if you are looking for additional content, check out my daily newsletter at readhuddleup.com or follow me on Twitter at Joe Pompliano. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you next time.